0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Hey, how's it going? Good to be together. So good to be together. A continued welcome for those of you joining us online. Today we conclude our sermon series in the family of God. And we're going to be looking at the story of the Magi, uh, which is a very fun story to imagine yourself in, uh, living in a dis- distant land, um, totally enamored with the heavens, studying, studying the skies, and, uh, and then all of a sudden something happening. A sign so great. How great would a sign need to be to get you up from the city in which you live and to have you travel weeks, months across the desert to figure out what or who could be so great is to cause such a sign as this. We're in Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two, the story of the Magi, cultic practitioners trading in their prior lifestyle for communion with the living God. So as we open our our word, our Bibles, let's also open our heart in prayer. Father, thank you for the Magi. Thank you for the reminder that no one is too far off for you to save, to bring to the family table. Thank you for the way that you do send signs. Thank you that the whole earth sings of your majesty. Thank you that the heavens declare the glory of God. God, would hearts see your sign, respond in worship. Holy Spirit, proclaim your good news again this day. Might you move your hand of salvation once again in this place, for your name's sake and for our good. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, This is the word of the Lord, and we're thankful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Christians, that's us, we proclaim that humanity has been wrecked by the fall. We believe that that's what Scripture teaches. Uh, But a lively discussion can ensue about what exactly does that mean? Just how fallen is humanity? Like, are we like this fallen? this fallen. My three-year-o- three-year-old and I have a game. I love you this much. you know. How fallen are we? This much. There's a problem, a danger that we're confronted with in, in this text, whereby we make presumptions. We look at Herod, and we make a presumption that he's kind of just a bad guy. Like, that's just you know what? He's the, he's the bad apple, and that's just how it is. We could also presume with the Magi, we could say the Magi, they're, they're just good people. They just, something in them, it's real good. They know a good thing when they see it. They see a really cool star, they know it. And they respond well. The, the danger is, is a presumption that humans can be basically good people. BGP. BGP. If you presume that you're a BGP, then you also presume that you're GTG. Good to go. So, my caution to you in this new year is: be wary of BGP. Okay. So, for many years, I I really wrestled with this question: just how big is the fall? And uh, I, I think, in hindsight, I was in this dangerous pattern of presuming that I was a BGP. The danger there being you start relying more on your own perceived goodness and less on the grace of God. So in my undergrad years, I was introduced to Presbyterianism for the first time in a deep sort of way. Came across this little document, the Heidelberg Catechism. It's part of our confessional documents. Confessional documents are generations of the church saying this is how Scripture leads us to think and behave. And in the Heidelberg Catechism in question eight, it asks, Well, how great is the fall? It asks it like this But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do good and prone to do evil? Answer, will you read it with me? Yes, unless we are born again through the Spirit of God. So we go back. How good are the Magi? Are the Magi able to do good? Able to say no to evil apart from the grace of God. What Christian theology does is it places Herods and Magi at a same starting point. We're all fallen. We're all fallen. In fact, Paul will say in Romans I'm skipping a little bit ahead here. I'll come back. In Romans, Paul writes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. So what Matthew says here through the, through the biography, Matthew 2 of the Magi, Paul will write, write in his systematics, in his theology that no, there's no one righteous. So you come back to this question of like, well, how good are the Magi? Well, see, the Magi represent those on whom the saving grace of God has been poured out, making true worship possible. The Magi represent those whom the saving grace of God has been poured out. What we learn through Scripture over and over again is that sin is really that bad, really that crippling. And if you stop there, it's just awful news but we proclaim good news. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ where the grace of God is so great and so powerful and God loves us so much that he comes to us and that he reaches people who are far off. The Magi were outsiders, they were far off and the grace of God goes to them and reaches them. Verses one and two, again, go like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So three characters, if we lump the Magi into one, are introduced in these opening lines. You have Jesus, born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, and then we have Magi. And using these three characters, we can actually walk through this passage and learn a great deal about what God is teaching his people here in Matthew chapter two. So I'm gonna mix up the order a little bit here and go Herod, Magi, and then Christ. Herod represents the, the hard heart. Herod represents the missed opportunity. Herod represents the need. Uh, the Magi represent those who see the sign and respond appropriately to the sign. They, they have soft and humble hearts that are, are willing to follow the sign When they see it. Christ, he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. But first, Herod, verses three through eight. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, when he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. which, of course, we know is a bunch of humbug. Pastor Tim preached two weeks ago. What Herod really did was he initiated a genocide in the whole Bethlehem region, declaring that every male two years of age and under should be put to death. Herod was, uh, he was power-hungry, to say the least. Our history books tell us that it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, Herod killed three of his sons to maintain power. Absolutely power hungry. Absolutely lost in his own desire to maintain as much control as he could. Herod was, the word used in our translation, disturbed. He's mad, degenerate. And then it says that the whole city was disturbed. Well, we would be disturbed too if the ruler over us had already nixed three of his sons to stay in power. What is he, what is he gonna do next? And you know, these, these histories come down to us through the scriptures, and we, we ask ourselves about today. I mean, don't we, don't we feel disturbed today as well? The whole city is disturbed. Our hearts are all just about this weekend and the fires and then everything else going on. And maybe that's a little bit of the story of the human race under the fall It's that there's a lot of disturbance. There's a lot of disturbing out there. Herod represents this. When you reject the lordship of the true king, when you presume that you're a BGP, you hurt people. The whole universe ends up becoming about you. And Herod is an extreme example. But I think the statement holds. I declare that the statement holds. When you reject the lordship of Christ, you hurt those around you. There's a dangerous, it's dangerous in the air, you know, the, the, new, the, the ideas, the worldviews that, that come at you. Um, one is that humanity is advancing towards some kind of moral good um, or that we have the power to um, advance ourselves to this uh, utopian state on our own. Uh, I could illustrate this in in countless ways. Uh, The one that stands out in my mind the most is a billboard that went up across the nation a couple years ago um, of of a leading healthcare company in the nation that said, "'Nothing shall be impossible.'" If you give us one more week, we'll come out with a vaccine that will cure it all. Um, your uncle who just passed away from cancer, if you give us one more week, we're going to fix that too. So here's the thing. It's, it's, it's actually noble and right and good to pursue the health and healing of your neighbor. Hear me on that. That's the good thing. Um, but I think if you, if you watch the language and you, you sense the worldview that's coming across the airwaves... It's actually a humanistic worldview that says, if you just give us one more moment, we will get there ourselves. That is antithetical to what Scripture teaches. It's antithetical to the doctrine of the fall. And so while we should strive and while we should uh, try, we should too maintain that humanity's fallen. You know, our history tells us that we just left the bloodiest century in human history. Many accounts say over 150 million lives lost in the 20th century alone to warfare, either directly or directly connected. In 1913, that would have been about 10% of the global population. When you reject the lordship of Jesus, you hurt those around you. And here's the rub for today, is that we all start out like that. We all start out dead in the trespasses of our sin. And it is only by the grace of God, and it is only by responding to the grace of God, that we can break that bad news cycle by the power of the Holy Spirit, and start actually loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us. So King Herod, we see our deepest need on full display. We see our depravity on full display. We see the hardness of the human heart on full display. So what about the Magi? What do the Magi teach us? Verses nine to 12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In the Magi, we see God's loving grace extending to all outsiders. The outsiders are brought in. They're declared part of the family of God. They're not told to stand over the corner. They're told to come to the table of God and commune with God. The outsiders come in. The Magi were outsiders by race, They were outsiders by geography. They were outsiders by profession. As astrologers, their vocation was bookended by superstition on the one hand, and in the other hand, their predictions perpetuated divination that was directly against the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. Did God look across at the Magi and see their rebellious ways, see their hardness of heart, see their blinded eyes, and say, they are not my people? Or does God look at the Magi And look at me and you and say, Those are my children. I'm going to go reach my children. I'm going to become Emmanuel to reach my children. They were out the prophets, if you were a a Jew in Jerusalem at the time and you heard that Magi got to get in into the family of God. Listen to what Isaiah 47 says about, about uh, about the Magi and what I say about media. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. (laughs) Sorry. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Let's see how big your God is, the prophets say. Only the living God is God. And God says, I will bring the outsider Inside Hosea 2.23, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, and what if we say together, you are my God. And everybody in Colorado Springs, Colorado, quite a distance from Jerusalem, can say, Amen. God brings the Magi near. God gives grace to the outsider. God breaks down the walls of division. Ephesians 2, 12, and 13. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant, to the promise. You were without hope. You were without God. You were alone. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God delights in grafting the Magi into his family. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, remember this. God delights in grafting you into his family. Delights. I, I want to highlight something that uh, came to me for the first time as I was reading. You know how it is. You can read over a passage, and then um, I'll tell you what the problem is, is that my nativity scene um, has the Magi already in Bethlehem. Um, and then finally, when I go to prepare a sermon, I realize, oh my goodness, they did not have a direct flight. <laughs> they, had a, uh, they had a stopover, a layover. Um, and where was it? Jerusalem. Yeah. And uh, so why is that? And it seems pretty intentional, right? Because uh, the star eventually, like the, the second part of that, when they leave Jerusalem, it's almost like the star just kind of puts them right at the threshold of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And so when they were in Jerusalem, the, car, the star could have just kept going. You know, the train's moving. Magi keep walking. And yet it seems almost like stops so that they have this inter- interchange, this exchange with King Herod. And in that moment, King Herod, or maybe I should say the Lord through King Herod, does what? He gets all the pastors in town, everybody who went to seminary, everybody get together. Everybody should know this, but we'll get the the trained folks together and we'll ask them a question. Where is the Messiah to be born? Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That's the text that they quote in Matthew 2. So the Magi, they've just been living their life in the east, maybe, maybe Babylon. I am making an assumption that they've never seen the written word of God, the Torah. And instead of getting a direct flight to Bethlehem, they get this layover. And the layover seems to be about one thing the scroll coming out, the word of God being opened. And this seems really rich to me because the heavens do declare the glory of God all the time. We know that. We we, we brag about it a little bit in Colorado. A little bit. You know. We have the, the beautiful fresh snowfall. We have the Pikes Peak Summit. The heavens declare and declare and declare and declare. And the Magi, instead of going straight to Bethlehem, go to Jerusalem for this special moment when the scroll is opened and Micah is read. In our theological talk, we'll call it general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens point to the word of God. We know that there is a God through creation and we know about that God and his plan for salvation and his plan for your life through his word. And it doesn't stop there because from Jerusalem, they go to Bethlehem which culminates in knees being bowed in worship, in generous worship. Their treasures are coming out. Gratitude to the living God. Nature, word, worship. Nature declares the glory of God. The word describes God's plan. And worship determines the trajectory of your life. So we've been looking at pathways into the family of God. And the Magi's message is so clear. God calls you while you're far off. Amen and hallelujah. Wherever you are, God is calling you to believe and two, God uses that which the Magi are comfortable with to demonstrate Himself to them. Amen? Wherever you are in life, whoever you are praying for to come to know the Lord, know that God is a God who can use whatever circumstance to reveal His glory. God goes to these pagan Magi, and instead of first handing them the Bible, He hands them a star. He still takes them to the word, but by route of the star. I think that's really significant in our work that we engage in to love our neighbors toward Christ. Third is Christ. Herod, Magi, third is Christ. Let Let me just say this. Christ is fulfillment. The whole Old Testament has this cycle of judgment, mercy. Mercy, judgment, mercy, judgment. And then the prophet steps in. The Messiah will come. Mercy, judgment, mercy, judgment. The Messiah will come. It keeps doing that, keeps doing that. Jesus is not a promise about something next. Herod represents the judgment. The Magi represent the mercy. The Messiah is not a prophet, the next one up on the scene. The Messiah is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He's the way maker. He's salvation unleashed. He is the key, the access point by which we will be grafted into the family of God. We will be invited to the family table. He's arrived. He's here. He is in our midst. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the provision. He's the bread. One one thing I love about the bread. Do you know what the Hebrew name Bethlehem means? The house of bread. And years later, Jesus will stand up and he will say, I, born in Bethlehem, I am the bread of life. I'm all you need. Let me nourish you. Today, we receive the sacrament of communion, a declaration that God's family is available to us, that we are grafted into God's family, and that when God grafts someone into his family, he doesn't say, okay, go over into that wing of my house. He says, come to my table, eat on my flesh, because it was a costly thing to be brought into the family of God. That babe in Bethlehem grows up to be the perfect lamb, the sacrifice who hangs on the cross because he loves us. No other reason. He loves us and he wants to atone for our sin because we're not gonna be basically good people and make our way to heaven. We're gonna be humble and joyful filled people like the Magi who find Jesus by the grace of God and fall down in worship. And if you are on a journey that has not culminated in a a bent knee before Christ, can I encourage you to do that today? It really is just that. Faith really is just that. Trusting in God really is just that. It's saying, I know this way and this way and this way, but I see now that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I give myself to him you can do that. And we are called to do that each and every day of our lives. We come to the table as modern day magi. We see the sign, we hear the word, we seek out the child and we worship. We understand that it is by faith that we belong to the family of God. It is by faith that God grasps us in and sits us down at his table. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for teaching us anew that no matter how far off we find ourselves, you beckon us to your table. You send us a sign. You send us your word. You give us eyes to see Jesus. Help us as we approach your table to be modern-day magi, humble and joyful Help us to crave your word and to hear your word. Help us to journey to Bethlehem again and again, seeking your face. May this new year be a year where we worship well at your table. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S.